about the most important last week of someone's life in the history of the world. That is the last week of Christ. We're making our way to the Friday, um, the day in which Jesus would be crucified. We got a lot to talk about today. This is actually going to be, our class is going to be on the Thursday, the day before. So we're hitting Thursday now, the day before the crucifixion. A lot goes on on Thursday, just like a lot went on on Tuesday. So let's have a prayer and we're going to jump right into it, okay? Almighty God, thank you so much, Father, for this beautiful day you've given us in your magnificent world. Thank you, Father, for the hope we have today, the love we have for each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. We're so thankful, Father, for all the ways you've blessed this church with good leadership, with solid saints, seasoned disciples, great young people. We're so thankful for all the ways you provided for us here in Phoenix, Arizona. We pray that you will bless our Bible study, Father. Let it, let it be to your glory. Help us dig deep as we try to really appreciate uh, the death of our Savior and all he went through leading up to the cross. We continue to pray for our country during this time of pandemic. We pray for those who have contracted COVID, Father, that you would be with those folks. And we also pray for our, the leadership of our country in this time of transition we're in. We pray, Father, that you would look upon our country with favor and bless our government. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Before we dive right into Thursday, I just want to make sure we're all good with what happened on Wednesday. Okay, we looked at Wednesday this, uh, this past Lord's Day, which was last Sunday. Remember, when we studied Wednesday, we learned that we're not really certain what Jesus did on that day. The Bible doesn't go through specifics. It's the only day of the last week of Christ where we don't have details concerning what Jesus did on that day. Maybe he spent the day teaching in the temple. That wouldn't be unlikely. Maybe he spent the day making preparations for the Passover. That's going to get into what we're talking about today. Maybe he spent the day in prayer. Maybe he just spent the day resting because everybody needs some rest, right? Maybe he did a combination of all that stuff. After teaching on Tuesday, Jesus reminded his apostles of what was about to happen to him. He told them he was going to be crucified. He was going to die and be raised on the third day. They were not really still getting that at this point. The chief priests and the elders of the Jews gathered at the home of Caiaphas. They met to plan how to kill Jesus. An opportunity came to them with Judas. Judas was willing to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Judas would give them an opportunity, an avenue to arrest Jesus away from the crowds. That's what they were looking for. Judas gave them gave them what they were looking for. The Bible says that Satan was behind this. He entered, he entered into Judas' heart through his sinful temptations and influence. Judas was a lover of money. The Bible makes that clear. The devil knew that. He knew that. His actions seemed to be prompted by Jesus' rebuke of him at the home of Simon the leper. Jesus knew all that was, gonna, all that was going on behind the scenes. I don't think any of this was going on really in secret. The Lord knows, knows all that's going on. He could have stopped all this at any time. Judas' betrayal was a fulfillment of the prophecies, of the prophets, of prophecy. And that's where we concluded last time. We're moving to Thursday now. Moving to the lesson about 
when Jesus eats the Passover. Now, there's a lot that goes on on Thursday. I'm going to hit the Passover lesson. Brother Mitch is going to teach the next two classes after this. He's going to teach on Wednesday, Lord willing, and next Sunday. We're actually uh, going out of town for Thanksgiving. We go back home to Texas uh, once a year to see family, let the uh, kids see the grandparents and things. So we're going to be leaving for Thanksgiving uh, this week, so I won't be here on Wednesday or next Sunday. Uh, but Brother Mitch has graciously um, is going to teach the class. He's, he's said he'll teach the class, and I, I appreciate that. So I'm going to cover the Passover part of Thursday. Brother Mitch is going to get more to the Garden of Gethsemane parts of, of Thursday. Okay, so just to make sure we, we all know what's going on here, just don't forget the chart. Okay, I try to show this a lot to you so it can be organized in your mind. You know, we're on Thursday. Jesus eats the Passover with his, with his disciples. That's what we're looking at in this particular lesson. The key points we want to look at is the preparation of the Passover, the eating of the Passover, the institution of this meal we're about to eat together in a few minutes, the Lord's Supper. It also occurs on, on Thursday of the last week of Christ. And the problems among the apostles. They had some problems on this night. Also, some other significant events included a dispute. And this is part of the problems among the apostles. They had an argument at some point in the night over which one of them was the greatest or which one would be the greatest in the kingdom of God. Jesus on this night washed their feet. Remember that? John 13. That happens on, on this night. And then the betrayer, Judas, he's confronted by Jesus. Also want you to keep in mind, and I'll leave this slide up for a little bit, this one. In preparing the Passover, God gave very specific instructions on that, didn't he? Very specific instructions on how to prepare this meal. Just like he gave instructions on how to build the tabernacle and other aspects of worship. In the Old Testament, and I just put a list here, maybe I left some things off if I did, forgive me. But these are some of the key things that God wanted to be done when preparing the Passover. You got to purge the room of leaven. No leaven in the room. Keep that in mind because that's one of the reasons why we have unleavened bread today. There's no leaven in the room. Can't be leaven. You got to find an acceptable lamb. The lamb's got to be slaughtered by a priest. You got to roast the lamb. You got to bake unleavened bread. You got to prepare bitter herbs. The bitter herbs represent the bitterness of Israel while they were in Egyptian slavery. That's why it had to be bitter herbs. All of this, all these elements mean something. Everything, it all means something. And then they had to prepare fruit of the vine. So I'll leave that up for a little bit. Okay, go to lesson seven, question one. Let's try to go through this. I'm going to try to save the comments for the last few minutes because I, I want to make sure I get through this uh, so Mitch can, can be able to do the Garden of Gethsemane. Okay, question one. When it came time to prepare the Passover, Jesus told the disciples to go into the city and find somebody. Hopefully you wrote down that he told them to go and find a certain man. We don't know the name of this man. We don't know exactly who he is. All we know is that he is a man. He is a certain man who would be carrying what? A pitcher of water. 
Okay, go to Luke 22. Let's read some verses. Look at verse number 7. Luke 22 and verse 7. It says, Then came the first day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. And Jesus sent Peter and John. These are the two apostles. The same two apostles, mind you, who would go to the tomb, be the first ones at the empty tomb of Jesus. Mary Magdalene went and got Peter and John, and you know the story how John, Peter was running, and John, I raced him, caught up with him, and passed him up to the empty tomb. So you got Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us so that we may eat it. They said to him, where do you want us to prepare it? See, these are Jews. They had to keep the Passover. He said, when you have entered the city, the city of Jerusalem, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house that he enters. And you should say to the owner of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large furnished upper room. Prepare, prepare it there. Verse 13, and they left and found everything just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. So Jesus says, I want you to go into Jerusalem. You're going to find a certain man. You're going to be able to recognize this man because he's going to be carrying a pitcher of water. He's going to enter into a certain house. This man probably is someone who is the manager of some kind of an inn of some kind. And he's, he's the guy over this. He's the supervisor or the manager. Jesus says, that's the guy you're going to go to. He's going to be carrying a pitcher of water. That's interesting. With that, we see the Lord's foreknowledge. It's not the only time we've seen this so far. With the Lord telling his apostles exactly what an individual is going to be doing when they come into contact with him. Brother Stan, in his wonderful talk on Wednesday, brought up the account where Jesus came into contact with Nathaniel, right? John 1. Nathaniel started believing in Jesus when Jesus told him he saw him doing what? He said, I saw you sitting under the fig tree. I saw you there. Now that totally blew Nathaniel's mind away because he had never met Jesus up to this point and Jesus told him something intimate about himself, something that no one would have been able to know about him unless they had been intimately acquainted with him or was personal, personally connected with him. Jesus said, I knew exactly where you were. You were under the fig tree. In fact, not only did Jesus know where he was, Jesus said, I can see into your heart. I see there's, there's no deceit in this man. You, you got a good heart. So Jesus does this all the time, doesn't he? He knows what's going on in people's hearts. He knows where people are and what they're doing at all times. That would also apply to us, right? Knows our hearts. He knows what we're doing all the time. Jesus said, you're going to find a man with a pitcher of water. You go with him. You go with him into the place that he's, that he's going. Now, when they got there, question two, what was going to be waiting for them? Well, a furnished upper room. And the purpose of this nicely furnished upper room would, it would be a sufficient area to prepare this important meal, the Passover. Now, how did this come about? You know, the apostles just show up and there's a room ready. Well, the Bible may not tell us exactly, but maybe we can conclude some things. Maybe, and I say maybe, 
we can conclude that Jesus had already made these arrangements. These arrangements were already ready. And maybe Jesus already made the arrangements. Jesus knows who they're going to see. The room is already ready. The guy's not going to give him any trouble. Somebody had made these arrangements prior. I think we can conclude that. Question three. What bad news did Jesus announce while they were eating the Passover? What bad news? What, what did you get on that one? Can somebody tell me? He, he said, somebody's going to betray me. I wrote down for that one, Matthew 26, if you want to turn there. Uh, this was a parallel account here. In fact, we'll be studying from Matthew 26 in our sermon this morning. But in Matthew 26, verse number 20, Matthew 26, 20, says, Now when evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve disciples. As they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you that one of you, imagine the horror and the shock of hearing this. If you're one of these twelve men and you've been closely following Jesus for three years, one of you will betray me. One of us will betray you? Verse 22 says they were deeply grieved by that. And they each one began saying to him, surely it's not me. I wouldn't do that. Is it, they want, I mean, that's how I would have been. I want to know who is this person. Is it going to be me? He answered, he who dipped his hand with me in the bowl is the one who will betray me. The son of man is to go just as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the son of man is betrayed. It would be good for that man if he had not been born. What is that a reference to? Judas is going to be lost. He's going to go to hell. He, he, we know he commits suicide, right? Well, Jesus says it'd be better if he wasn't born. When he committed suicide, instead of repenting, he should have repented and Jesus would have forgave him. The Lord would have forgave him. But he killed himself. And as a result of killing himself, Jesus says it'd be better if he wasn't born. That's how bad hell is. Be better if you weren't even born. And Judas, verse 25, who was betraying him, said, Surely it's not I, Rabbi. Jesus said to him, You said it yourself. Jesus knew who, who it was. And Judas knew that Jesus knew who it was. Jesus said, Somebody's going to betray me. The betrayer is exposed at this, at this dinner, at this meal. Question four. Why do you think Judas asked the question? I want to hear from you on this one. I really do. Why do you think Judas asked the question he asked in verse 25? I just thought this was intriguing, and maybe you did too. You know, Judas says, he says, surely it's not I, Rabbi. Well, he knows it's, it's him. He knows what he's up to. He's already gone and met with these evil men prior to this. So why do you think, can I just get a couple of answers, please? Um, I know I said I was going to save questions for the comments from the end, for the end, but I really kind of want to just get your thoughts on this. Why do you think Judas said that? Well, what's your thoughts on that? Yes, ma'am. Well, is he just confirming that Jesus knew? You say, is he, is he confirming that Jesus knew? Yeah. <laughs> That's a very strong possibility. He's like, man, I can't, I can't fool you, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, good thought. Yes, yes, ma'am. Go right ahead. Oh, you know what I wrote on my paper? I wrote down, maybe not to expose himself. Maybe. You know, have you ever done that before? When you knew somebody 
was kind of getting on to you about something and you're trying to play it off a little bit. You ever heard that old expression, I'm playing it off? And maybe, I'm just saying maybe, and I'm, I'm kind of with your line of thinking, and I'm not saying we're right, but it makes sense that maybe Judas is trying to play it off some. And maybe he's saying this not to expose himself, but Jesus went ahead and exposed him. Uh, that's a good thought. Uh, Brother Gary, and then, and then Don had a comment, and then Samantha, I hit you. So you think he's got like the, the one angel, you know, that old, yeah. the, the one angel on one shoulder, the other angel. Brother Gary was saying maybe he was in self-denial. And hey, that's likely because I've been in that situation, too, where you're doing something and you kind of got you back. You got your battling inside. Yeah, we've already agreed that he may have not realized the outcome. Right. No, that's an excellent thought. No, that's that's a good thought. Uh, Brother Dunn and I get Samantha, then we then we'll move on. Or at least it's not recorded for us in the gospel, right? right. And his indications or his, his actions lead one to believe that he does not consider Jesus to be all-powerful. He's still looking at the, the, the chief priest that he went to as being somehow a driver in what's going to happen and forcing action, as, as we said in times past. That's a possible. That's a possibility. In, in all things, if we look at the actions of people, uh, as they're described all the way in Hebrews, back to Israel for not going into the land, they enter not in because of unbelief. The actions that we do are caused by unbelief or untrust, in one way or the other. Samantha. So you're kind of with Gary, the idea of, you said anxi an anxiety spike. He's panicking here. Yeah, Mitch. I just want to quickly, I don't yeah. know what Donald said. I don't believe that's true because they were surprised. The apostles were shocked. If this guy had been thinking for three years and had seen all these miracles and performed miracles. Yes, he did. No, I, that's a good thought. For me personally, where I'm at on this, and I'm not, and you may disagree, but I'm at, I'm thinking that Judas is playing some games here, and we try to play games with God sometimes too. I think he's playing innocent. I think he's playing innocent. I think he's trying to still cover his tracks. And Jesus went. That's why I think that's exactly why Jesus went ahead and just let it out, let the cat out the bag, and said, "You said it. It ain't no secret." You're the guy. Uh, so that's where I'm at on this. Uh, y'all may have some other comments on that. I want y'all to hold those. I'm, I promise I'll get you here in a few minutes. Chad, I saw you. Lance, just remember, don't forget it, okay? 
Uh, but I, let me just get through this real quick. So I definitely I'll give you the last few minutes. OK. All right. Number five. Good thoughts, everybody. I, I appreciate the good discussion. Let's talk about this Passover. Let's talk about the Passover. The Passover, uh, you being the good Bible students you are, you know that that was a meal designed to commemorate what happened to the ancestors, the Israelite ancestors in the time of Moses, right? It was designed to commemorate when the last plague hit the Egyptians. That plague was the death of the firstborn. God told the Israelites that if you put lamb's blood on the doorpost, the destroyer and this spiritual being is called the destroyer. The destroyer, when he came into Egypt, he would what? Pass over him. He would pass, and, and they all did that, and guess what? They all got, their firstborns got passed over. All the other firstborns, even the beast in Egypt, they died. So this was an enormously important feast for, for the Jews. The Passover was one of three important feasts for the Jews. The three important feasts for the Jews was Passover, Pentecost, anybody remember the third one? Booths, that's right. The Feast of Booths, where they were supposed to make these portable tents uh, throughout Jerusalem and, and, and live in them for a period of time to remember when their ancestors were wandering in the wilderness. So Passover, Pentecost, Pentecost always took place, always took place 50 days after the Passover. That's what Pentecost means, 50. Okay, It always takes place 50 days after the Passover, which means... It always gonna, it's always going to fall on the same day of every week. And Pentecost always fell on guess what day? Sunday, the first day of the week. That's another reason why the first day of the week is significant to Christians. Not only was the Lord raised on the first day of the week, but the church was established on the first day of the week, on the day of Pentecost. So this is an important feast. Now, let me ask this question real quick. What is our Passover? Please no one say the Lord's Supper. I'm going to go ahead and just take that off for you. Don't embarrass yourself. Jesus it's Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 5, 7. 1 Corinthians 5, 7. Paul says that Jesus is our Passover. Because of Jesus, the Lamb of God, spiritual death passes over us when we give our lives to Jesus. When we have our sins washed away by his blood. The Lord's Supper is not our Passover. Jesus is our Passover. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5. And we partake of that Passover when we give our lives to him and have our sins washed away by his blood. Now, that doesn't mean that the Lord's Supper is not important. Question six, the Lord's Supper is the new meal that was established after the Passover. Yes, it is a memorial. If you were reading that text carefully, you will see that after they ate the Passover in this upper room on Thursday evening, the Lord then institutes a new meal, and this new meal is, does not have the, all these elements, and it's not going to have the same purpose. It's a different meal. It's the Lord's Supper, we call it. Communion, the word communion is fellowship. Fellowship means joint participation, sharing of things of a spiritual nature. It's a spiritual meal, the Lord's Supper. The elements, the elements of the Lord's Supper, and I know these are kind of first principle things, but there's nothing wrong with us rehearsing them. The elements required some of the same, some of the same things. We have the unleavened 
the unleavened bread, right, and the fruit of the vine. The Lord specifically used those two things, those two elements, when instituting the, the, the new supper, the Lord's Supper. We don't have the rest of this stuff. We don't have the bitter herbs. We don't need the lamb to be slaughtered by the priest because our lamb, Jesus, he slaughtered once and for all. One time for all time. Hebrews chapter 10. We don't have to have bitter herbs because there should be no bitterness with us. We're not in bondage anymore. We've been freed from our sins by the blood of Jesus Christ. Uh, so, and, and we're all priests. We're all priests of God. First Peter chapter 2. You're a priest. I'm a priest. So what the Lord puts in this meal, it's not all this stuff. I'm talking about the Lord's Supper. He doesn't put all of this. It's the unleavened bread and the fruit of the vine. The bread represents the body of Christ. Paul makes this point in 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 30. The body or the bread represents the body of Christ that hung on the cross and the fruit of the vine, the grape juice, represents the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for remission of sins. Again, the Lord's Supper is not intended to be our Passover. Jesus is our Passover. The Lord's Supper is intended to be a memorial. It's like you go to Washington, D.C., you see all these memorials, remembering wonderful people, great people who died for our country. World War II Memorial, World War I Memorial. Memorials are designed to help people never forget wonderful things, wonderful sacrifices that have been, been made on their behalf by others. Well, the Lord's Supper is the greatest memorial because it is a meal designed to help us never forget what God has done for us. And I'm glad it's there because you see the wisdom of God here because it ain't easy to forget things. It's easy to forget things. Uh, and, you know, right now we're living in a time where in our country we're trying to take down certain memorials because we want to forget things. We want to for forget his certain parts of history. And people will do that. People will forget history. And when you forget your history, you you're prone to repeat it. With the Lord's Supper, we're, it's designed to help us never forget the most important piece of human history. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Okay. Question nine, who is to partake? Well, question eight, I answered that one, the purpose of the new meal to remember the sacrifice of Jesus. So hope you got that. Question nine, who is to partake of the new meal? Who is to partake of this meal? Yep, disciples, believers. In the context of Matthew 26, if you go ahead and go there and look at verse 29, I did a when I preached in Athens, Alabama one time at a lectureship in Athens, Alabama, uh, for those of you familiar with the South, you know that uh, uh, Athens, Alabama is kind of like Pentecost, uh, Jerusalem around Pentecost. So a lot of Christians in Athens, Alabama. Uh, but I did a lecture there on verse 29 of Matthew 26. There's a lot going on in that verse. And notice Jesus talks about drinking it new with you, my father's kingdom. This meal is for those in the Father's kingdom. The kingdom, the kingdom here in this text is a reference to the church. The church. Paul makes that point in Colossians 1 and verse 13. We have been translated, if we're Christians, into the kingdom. Jesus said he was going to establish his kingdom. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom came into existence in Acts chapter 2 when the church came into existence. 
And this meal is for those who have received the benefits of Jesus' sacrifice, those who've responded to the gospel, those who are in the kingdom. We do it on the first day of the week. There is one verse in the Bible that tells us that. If it wasn't for one verse, we wouldn't know when to take it. Acts 20 and verse 7. Someone says, well, all you got is one verse. How many times does God have to say something for it to be so? All you need to say is one time, right? First day of the week. That is what you call an apostolic, an approved apostolic example. It is approved apostolic example because Paul was in this worship assembly. We read about it this morning. He's there, and if it wasn't God's will that they take the Lord's Supper on the first day of the week, then Paul would have said so. He's an apostle. But he's there with them taking it, and he's putting his stamp of approval on it. So the first day of the week, and the last time I checked, every week has the first day of the week, and the implication of that language is every first day of the week. First day of the week implies every first day of the week. If God wanted it done one first week out of the month, he would have said so. He said do it on the first day of the week, and that's when we do it. Now, go to the next one, question 10. Where is Jesus every time the meal is observed? Amen. He's among us. He's in fellowship with us. He's in communion with us. He's in spiritual union with us. And we know that because he says so in verse 29. Matthew 26, 29. After Jesus institutes this supper, he, he breaks the bread and he, and he drinks the cup and he tells them that this represents, he says, for this is the blood of my cov cov of covenant, which is poured out, verse 28, for the forgiveness of sins. This is for the forgiveness of sins. Now, when you look at Acts 2.38, sometimes Baptist preachers will go to Acts 2 and verse 38, and they'll say when Peter said, repent and be baptized for forgiveness of sins, that doesn't really mean you'll receive forgiveness of sins or for the purpose of forgiveness of sins. When you look up the Greek language, of Acts 2.38 and put it with what Jesus says here in Matthew 26.28, guess what? It's the same language. So if Acts 2.38 wasn't for forgiveness of sins, then Jesus didn't pour his blood out for forgiveness of sins. It's the same language. And then in verse 29, he says, But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. In verse 29, Jesus is saying that every time we partake of the Lord's Supper, he is drinking it with us spiritually. He's in spiritual union with us. He's in fellowship with us. He is among us at that time. That's something good to be mindful of. Wouldn't you agree? To be mindful of the presence of Jesus. Jesus drinks it with his people spiritually every time. They take the Lord's Supper on the first day of the week. That's what the Lord is talking about there. Now, going back to this idea of those in the kingdom, the Lord's Supper is for, that doesn't mean that we need to be going around checking spiritual IDs every worship service, okay? If we got visitors, are you sure you're a Christian? No, no. People, they need to, they need to do that themselves. We, we're not supposed to be inspectors, okay? The principle just is that this this meal only means something for Christians, okay? There have been times when I was studying with people, trying to bring them to the Lord, and they didn't get it all still. And they, you know, I would catch them taking the Lord's Supper. 
you know, and we ain't obeyed obey the gospel yet, but I didn't go blast them afterwards. Oh, why'd you do that? You ain't a Christian. You're going to hell still. That doesn't work. That don't work. You're going to, that's a, no more Bible studies after that. You let, you let people grow. You let people grow. Okay? If they're already in sin, they're, look, it's not going to hurt them if they want to do it in the, in the assembly. As they learn later, then they realize, oh, man, I shouldn't have been taking it. You see? They'll realize that at some point. That's why we study with them. So, 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 so just be mindful of that, okay? It is for kingdom citizens, but we don't need to be investigating what everybody's doing in, in the pew. Okay, and then this last question, and I, I give, I, we still have five minutes after that. The big problem going on among the disciples at this point in the evening was an argument about who's the greatest. Write down Luke 22, Luke 22, 24 through 27. Luke 22, 24 through 27. The, the apostles are arguing about who's the greatest. And they did that a few times in Jesus' ministry. This wasn't the only time, right? And I think that shows us that they had a really messed up perception of the kingdom. I think it shows us that they're still thinking of an earthly kingdom. Where their status and position and rank. And they're fighting about that. Because of their earthly perspective. And Jesus has to straighten them out. And it's a shame our Lord has to straighten this out. And he's about to be betrayed by Judas in just a couple of hours or so. So he, but he's got to straighten this out. And he does this by doing two things. First, he teaches them. He teaches them that in his kingdom, it's not about position. It's not about rank and lording over others. Instead, it's about being a servant. Those are the great ones in his kingdom. Those who are servants first. So he teaches them about the need to be a servant. And then secondly, he shows them how to be a servant by doing what? Washing feet. So Jesus shows it or he teaches it and then he shows it. That's why he's the master teacher. He teaches it and then he shows it. He demonstrates it by washing their feet. The son of God washes their feet. And that made an impact on them because as they continued on after Jesus left them, they're different people afterwards, aren't they? They're different people. They're ready after Jesus is done with them before he goes to heaven. But it took a lot of work, even on the night that they took the Passover, and he's going to be betrayed by Judas. So hopefully that'll get those questions in for you. Remember, the point of this is on Thursday night, Jesus eats the Passover. He institutes the new meal, the Lord's Supper, because he knows he's about to die soon, and he doesn't want anybody to ever forget this. He doesn't want his people to forget this. And then he also helps his disciples learn about the need to be servants. Let's take a, a few questions and comments, and then I want to show you some pictures before we close. Uh, any questions or comments? Jamal, yes, sir. And if y'all don't mind, just speak up a little bit since we don't have the, the mic, please. Well, Brother Jamal, my understanding of the Father's kingdom there is the establishment of the church. I don't think it's talking about heaven there, Brother Jamal. I believe that when Jesus says, I will drink anew with you my Father's kingdom, he's saying the kingdom is going to be established. And once it is established, and it was established in Acts 2, Jesus says, when my people start taking the Lord's Supper, that's when I'm going to, I'm going to be doing it with them. So I don't think this is a reference to us taking the Lord's Supper in heaven. 
We won't need to do it in heaven. Heaven is a spiritual place. I think it's a reference to the Lord being in communion with us in the kingdom now, right now. Every first day of the week when we eat this meal, I think that's what the Lord is referring to in Matthew 26, 29. That's, that's my understanding of it. Uh, anyone else? Brother Lance and then Chad had a comment and then, and then Dakota after that. Go ahead, Lance. Yes, sir. He, he's, a, he's a challenging case, except for I believe there's a solid scripture that gives us a calibration of how to understand these things. And so I believe as people, we think that Jesus picked good men to be as apostles. And if you read in John chapter 17, when Jesus is praying, he says, none of them were lost except the son of perdition. The son of perdition. Why? So the scriptures can be fulfilled. So that's John 17, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but in the, in the theme of John, I think it explains it earlier in the book and gives us a solid calibration as to what really happened, and that we have, what we assume as people is wrong. And it says in John chapter 6, verse 70, Jesus answered them, did I not choose you the twelve? And that would be fine, but he finishes sentences and says, and one of you is a devil. <laughs> if we assume Jesus picked 12 good apostles, we're wrong. Right. He picked 11 good men and one who was evil. Right. Why did he do that? Because it was a requirement to fulfill prophecy. And so with that, we can better understand, once our brains are calibrated, all the events that are happening and why Judas was lost and why, unfortunately, Good, good comment. Chad, go ahead, sir. Um, in, in regards to him playing games that Jesus directly to his face, we, we do experience that ourselves sometimes, but we definitely can see Adam did that with yep. God when God said, where are you? Cain did that directly to God's face. Am I my brother's keeper? Right. Jonah played that game directly yes. to No, Chad was saying. Chad was saying that what this game that I personally believe Judas is trying to play with Jesus of you know trying to not expose himself is something we find going back to the garden. This is not a. This is this is something that goes on all throughout the Bible. Jonah, you named, and some others. I think that's a great point. Great point, Dakota. And then we need to get ready to close. That's a great question, my dear friend. Good. You know, that's good. So real quick, I just want to show you this. Uh, Mitch is going to pick up at the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember, Garden of Gethsemane, right at the base of the Mount of Olives, coming from the east. And you go on into, is right where the entrance is into Jerusalem. The temple is the first thing you're going to see once you enter the city walls, okay? I was able to go to Gethsemane. This is the Garden of Gethsemane. This is the garden that Jesus was in. And... I really imagined myself going to the Gethsemane and getting to sit and process Matthew 26, but I couldn't. I couldn't process it like I wanted to. You know why? 
because it is loaded with people everywhere. Because the Catholics mess up all the Bible lands. Because you know what they do? They put a church everywhere. They put a church everywhere. And, and you really can't get the feel for these things at times because this right here is the church of all nations. It's right by the Garden of Gethsemane. right over here. So you got people like hundreds and hundreds of people and it's loud and it's noisy. It's nothing like Jesus experienced that night he was betrayed. So I just want you to remember that. And now this right here is a view of Jerusalem from Gethsemane. These are the gates that they would have come through, Judas and the soldiers. These are the gates. Jesus would have been able to see them coming. Jesus would have had enough time to run and get out of there with the torches in the night. He would have saw them. They did not blindside him. But you know why he didn't run? It's his father's will. Don't, when, this really changed my perception of everything when I saw this in person. When I realized that Jesus could have saw them coming and had plenty of time to get out of there and go to Bethany, that let me know again just how much he loves us. So I just want you to remember that, okay? Well, Brother Mitchell, pick up from there. Thank you for your comments this morning. I really appreciate it.